Welcome to Slight Reliability. Learning SRE one day at a time. I'm Stephen Townsend. Welcome back to Slight Reliability, the show where we learn SRE one day at a time. I hope you've been well. Today we're talking about errors. So this is stemming from the reliability benchmarking work that I was recently doing. And one of the areas that we looked at was error rates. And so I have some observations and some questions around that, and we'll just see where it takes us. The first thing that I hit when trying to benchmark error rate was that I had to decide where am I going to look for errors? At which point am I going to measure them? And with any non-trivial service, it's going to be made up of lots of different components and layers, and there are decisions to make. A couple of things come to mind. First of all, I think, with a customer-facing service, that the absolute most important thing is that you need to make sure the customers are able to use the service effectively. So any errors that focus on the customer, I think should be the priority. And the second thing is that if you depend on external or third-party services, I think it's important to track the error rate of those to make sure that they are meeting the service level agreement they've signed up for because if they aren't meeting that service level agreement or are just not providing a high level of availability or success rate then that's going to impact your ability to provide good service to your customers so that's something I don't see enough I think is making sure like actually measuring hey we're using the service we may be paying for it and they've agreed to a certain level of service Let's measure and make sure they're actually meeting that level of service. And of course, within the technology components that you do have control over or some sort of impact on, then there's going to be different layers that you may want to look at, web layers, application layers, data layers, infrastructure, for example. Something that you probably shouldn't forget is if you are a digital customer-facing web application, for example, Check the browser error rates in your customers' browsers, JavaScript errors, for example, which is something that I've found a bunch of errors recently, uh, which I was, wasn't expecting to see. So there's different places that we can look for errors, but the big question is what is an error? So here's an example of a where it gets confusing. There's a team and they depend on a downstream service. That downstream service often throws HTTP 500 internal server errors, a technical error, but it's actually due to a business rule failing or a business rule exception. So that's, um, well, that's obviously bad practice because we're throwing a, a technical error for something which isn't a technical error. So how do we get around that? What do we do in that situation? Uh, for me, the answer would be if I was in that team, I'd be saying that's not good enough. You, you need to stop doing that because it's completely throwing us off. But that is something I've been thinking about as put it when I put together the notes for this episode is what do you do if you're in a team and the errors that you're getting from some downstream service just don't make any sense? Or there are a bunch of errors which are meaningless, but you have no control over that downstream service. You can't change the way that they report errors. What do you do for your own reporting and your own understanding of the health of your services? I had this like thought, oh, do you have to end up writing your own 
tools which take in the errors from some other system and filter out all the ones which aren't real. Like, I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested to hear how other people have solved that problem in the industry. HTTP status codes should be used correctly. We need to have confidence that when we get a 503 that this service is really unavailable. And I'm curious whether HTTP status codes and what they mean are something that, which are explicitly discussed by developers. I guess I take it for granted because in the world of performance engineering, we look at status codes and talk about them every day. Is it something developers are made aware of? Is it something we talk about enough? Because I've often seen maybe a 500 error being thrown when a very specific thing has happened and it's sort of a generic error for everything is 500 or seeing an error which is completely wrong for the actual situation. So I wanted to share an experience I had recently where, as I said before, I was working with a team and we were benchmarking their reliability and we found an enormous number of JavaScript errors. So the customers in the actual browsers, Chrome or whatever they're using, we're getting JavaScript errors by the millions every single day. And we found that and we were like, great, there's something that we can work on together. And the team's response in that, to seeing this data was, yeah, but are those errors actually impacting the customer? Maybe they're not. Maybe we should just leave them. And that was surprising. I did not expect that response. And I guess in a way, there's a certain logic to it. If it's not impacting the customer, then it's not actually impacting our business so much. Maybe we shouldn't spend any time on it. And at that point, I was like, well, maybe we need to find some more information. We need to do some testing or some uh, observing some more observability data to, to prove that this is actually impacting the customer. However, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what? Even if the customer is not impacted by these errors, which they, they very well may be, it is impacting the team's ability to operate their services effectively because it's a whole bunch of noise which drowns out actual newly introduced JavaScript errors each deployment, each build. So I've talked about signal to noise ratio in the past, how with any observability or telemetry, there's a huge amount of data and you need to reduce the noise to find the signal, the thing which is the insight which helps you make decisions and understand what's going on. So I think that having a huge amount of JavaScript errors, whether they are impacting the customer or not, it's technical debt, which is impacting your team, the people in your team and their happiness in their job in a way. I think it comes down to having a culture of valuing uh, improvement work. If there's constant pressure to deliver features, then this stuff slips technical debt grows and the price will be paid later and that price could be a massive incident or a number of incidents or more cost to maintain the system which is falling apart but it could also be the cost is losing good staff because they are fed up with not being able to deliver the level of quality and the services that they own and build because there's no time it's just deliver features Where's the time to improve and to simplify? That's incredibly satisfying work, and it, I think it's, uh, it's overlooked when we talk about retaining great talent. I've been talking about traditional server errors so far. 
you know, an actual exception being thrown by an application or a piece of technology. But then there are the errors that we decide are errors. For example, what if we decide that a particular service, when it takes longer than five seconds to complete, that's, that's a failure. So we throw an error. That's another kind of error. But it's something that we need to consciously decide. And that's, of course, when we start talking about service-level objectives and service-level indicators. So that's, a, that's interesting for me because no longer are we just saying an error is a thing which is thrown by the stuff that we built, but it's this potentially quite complex thing that we've thought about has this criteria that we've set is not being met, therefore an error has occurred. And of course, flowing on from that is the concept of error budgets. So we set this target and we've continued to meet it at, at this level. Um, we have, we've allowed for failures to occur this often and that's our error budget. So your errors become quite complicated in the world of SRE when you start using SLOs, SLIs and error budgets, which I'm not. I'm not using them in anger right now. So I, I don't feel qualified to give a really detailed discussion about that. The last thing I wanted to reiterate around errors is this I mentioned in the episode titled A Failability. Yes, I'm big on dad puns. Uh, that error rate is a fairly good measure of availability. It's not perfect, but it's better than uptime because it takes into account the level of load on your services at any given time. So we can use it for that purpose and in some ways availability and error rate, there, there is crossover there. So that's all I wanted to cover relating to errors. I think it's it's more complex than people let on. When it gets down to actually writing some queries to get the errors and not actually having confidence that the status codes coming back are accurate, I mean, how often do you see 200 response codes come back with a custom error message? And then you have to understand what those custom error messages are and then include that in your query to draw them out. It gets pretty tricky, right? If everyone had really good standards for status codes and the way that they report errors, life would be a lot simpler. So what else have I been up to? Well, we're putting together this, this product, an observability platform. We're building it out of Grafana, Prometheus, Mimir, which is Grafana's sort of centralized high-performing data store for Prometheus and Postgres for our configuration database. And we were initially just running it as binaries on laptops, on a server, uh, but we want to move into a Kubernetes um, platform as a service. Before we do that, of course, we have to get it running in containers. And last week I did just that, just starting with Docker desktop on my laptop. And it was really easy and a lot of fun and it was great to go from starting one morning and by the end of the day all four apps were running in docker and talking to each other just fine and working and i was passing in the config and everything fantastic then i thought great well all i need to do is put that in kubernetes <laughs> i was so incredibly naive kubernetes is a whole other level of complexity and it really isn't as simple as if I can run it in Docker, I can just throw it in Kubernetes. Mm -mm. You can, but it's not as simple just pick it up and put it over there. So we'll be tackling that challenge in the next week or two. 
So that is all from another episode of Slight Reliability. Thank you once again for joining in and in the conversations that follow each episode. They're awesome. I love being part of this community where we're talking about these ideas that we're all trying to make sense of and we're all learning and it's it's great. I'm really enjoying being part of this time, which I think is quite exciting. So I will see you all next time.